Well, that passage that I read to you, the Great Commission, is a portion of Scripture back in Ammonford that we've become pretty familiar with. We began the year, first Sunday in January, with Matthew chapter 8, and we stayed there for nigh on two and a half months. We wanted, as we began the year, to listen to the voice of Jesus, to come to those final words, those final instructions. And as we emerged from the pandemic, as we emerged from being locked away, to listen to his voice and his direction as to what we should be about as a church and where we should be heading. And um, one of the things that I was really grateful for as we studied the Great Commission was just how clear just how our um, uh, direct and unambiguous Jesus' instruction was, how how Jesus' instruction anticipates the questions that we might have. Jesus tells us, doesn't he, go. That's not a static instruction, but it's dynamic. It requires response. But we might ask, go and do what? And so Jesus says, doesn't he, make disciples, to which we might respond, well, where would you like me to make disciples, Lord? And he says, everywhere. And we might ask the question, well, how would you have us make disciples? And he says, by baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching others to obey my commands, we might ask, really? Is that something that you want us to do? And Jesus concludes, yes, really. And don't worry about it because I am with you always to the end of the age. It's a brilliantly clear and direct instruction, which I, in particular, am thankful for because I'm of that age now where I can very often be hearing instructions, normally from my wife, asking me, telling me to do something. And though I feel like I'm listening, by the time we get to the end of it, none of it's gone in. I need that clarity. I need that time as well as we spent in Ammonford going back to it over and over again for that instruction really to sink in. So I appreciate having a clear instruction. And you can't get much clearer than that. Jesus' final words in the Gospel of Matthew to his followers, to go and make disciples. And yet very near our time studying together the Great Commission, we, we realize that to focus only on Jesus' final words would be a mistake because they are final words. They're not the first words Jesus speaks to these disciples and they're not the first words that Jesus ever speaks to folks like you and I. They're final words which presumes that there have been words before. He finishes with a word of instruction, but before we respond to that word of instruction, we need to first hear each and every one of us, Jesus' inviting words. There's a hint at Jesus' invitation in verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. You could say to the mountain which Jesus had invited them. Jesus, risen from the dead, had told his disciples, come to me in Galilee and meet me on this mountain. But even that isn't the first invite that came to them from him. Jesus is one who had invited them to come in 
from the cold, to come in from the wilderness, to come home, to come and join him, the son, at the father's table. Jesus had invited them, as we looked at with the children a few moments ago, to come, all who are weary, and find rest. Jesus had invited them to follow him. Jesus had comforted them. Those who come to me, I will never turn away. Earlier in Matthew's Gospel, in chapter 4, this is what we read. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into a lake, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, come and follow me. I think it's so important, so important that before we hear any other word from Jesus, any commands, any instructions, that we have first heard and responded to his invitation. Jesus is one who speaks to us an invitation to saving faith in him. I wonder how long or whether, if ever, you have contemplated that that you are invited by Jesus to know him, to be known by him. You are invited by Jesus to find forgiveness and hope and life. Before any commands that he would lay upon you, Jesus first says, come, come to him. And how we respond to that is so important. If we ignore that invitation, then you can forget the final words. You can forget the final instructions to go because you're not there. If the disciples hadn't followed Jesus' invitation to come and meet him here at the end of Matthew's Gospel, they never would have received the command. If Jesus' followers back there in uh, chapter 4 had not responded to his invitation to come follow him, they never would have received and heard anything that he said. How we respond is so important when we hear Jesus' voice inviting us to come. And yet, first words are not final words. The Great Commission is here, and what Jesus speaks so clearly is, go. Come to me, follow me, and now go. Because Jesus' invitation is never the final word. I actually cut short that reading from chapter 4. Let me finish it. Now, Jesus said to them, come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and they followed him. I love that, that even woven into the invitation to follow him is this sense that there will be a command to go, follow me, come to me, and I will send you out. Those Jesus invites to come, he also commands to go. Saved people are a sent people. As the Father has sent me, Jesus said, I am sending you also. And so it's worth asking the question this morning, what is the Christian life all about? Is it about coming to Christ or is it about going for Christ? I think sometimes perhaps we can have those as mutually exclusive things. The answer to the question, is it one or the other, should be no. It is both and. And we have a few pictures in the scriptures to help us think that through, to help us understand what it is that Jesus is calling us to and for. 
The first one is the picture of coming to Jesus and receiving living water. So I have my jug here. Imagine this is Jesus who describes himself as a fountain that does not run dry. And he tells us to come to him and to be filled up. To come to him and have our thirst quenched. To come to him and to receive living water. But he also says that those who have been filled up when they come to him with living water will become themselves a spring of living water for others. That what we have received from Christ we're supposed to take and we're supposed to share it. We're supposed to bring Christ to those who are empty. Bring Christ and his refreshingness to those who are thirsty. That's one illustration of receiving, coming to Jesus, of being filled up and being sent in order to pour out. Another illustration, not of water, this time of fire and of light. Jesus tells us that he is the light of the world. In John chapter 7, he says, anyone who comes to me will have the light, will be taken from darkness and have the light of the world in them. So we can imagine Jesus as this great light. I don't think it's going to look that epic on a bright day like today. Jesus, this light, who invites us to come and to receive that light. To receive that light and to be lit ourselves in order that we would go out into the darkness and share that light and spread that light. Those who have come to Jesus are to go and share him with everyone around. So you've got these two pictures, these two images that are used in the gospel, that are used in the scriptures of coming and receiving and going and sharing. And so we might ask the question, well, what is the Christian life about? Is it more about coming or is it more about going for Jesus or coming to Jesus? And the answer is, well, yes, it's about both, isn't it? And that makes the invitation, I think, all the more spectacular. The invitation that Jesus extends to us today isn't simply to come and to belong, which in itself is something marvellous, is something wonderful, but to be a part of something lasting, something truly important, to be involved in something and the work that he is involved in. Jesus says, come so that you may go. Now, as I understand it, there are two potential problems that we as Christians, that we as churches sometimes fall foul of. And to understand that, we're going to think about this illustration with the water, the water that's supposed to be flowing from Christ into us and through us into the lives of those around us. If the water of Christ comes and fills us up, but never goes any further, you can understand that as being like the picture of simply coming to Christ and never going for Christ, then well, what happens to that water? What happens to a, water, um, a collection, a body of water that isn't flowing? You might have encountered it out on a wild walk in somewhere like Llangranog. It is that the water stagnates. The water becomes stinky, smelly, dirty, and actually water that if you drunk it would cause death. And that is a genuine 
problem for us as Christians. That is a genuine problem and concern for us as churches, is that we would listen to Jesus' command to come to him, to receive living water, but the water stops in us, and instead of being living water, becomes stagnant water, becomes water of death. That's problem number one. Problem number two is that we would become empty vessels. So that we've come to Christ, we've been filled up with Christ, we hear his clear command uh, ringing in our ears, we are dedicated to responding to sharing Christ, and we go out and we spread him everywhere, and our eyes are on the mission field, our eyes are on the outside, we've gone out into the outermost, darkest places, and we forget to keep coming to Christ. We forget to keep coming to be filled. And no matter how honest and pure our desire to go and to share, we get to a place where we are utterly empty, where we are of no good to anybody else because the light of Christ, the life of Christ, the water of Christ has run dry in us. And these are two very real problems, very real situations that Christians and churches can find themselves in. Either we stagnate, because we listen to the invitation to come, but never to the command to go, or we become empty, because having listened to that command to go, we never remember to keep coming back to Christ in order to be filled. Michael Green said of that stagnant image, that the church that exists for itself is not a church that will find life, but a church which lives for itself will surely be a church that dies by itself. The pattern of Christ in the Gospels is of one who is willing to give what he has away. Give what he has away to those around him in order to bring life to those around him. Jesus, who has invited us to come really is too good to keep to ourselves. It's not intended ever to be kept to ourselves, but is intended to be shared. On the other hand, on the other end, folks who have felt that pressure always to be active, always to be productive, so caught up in the Great Commission that they've forgotten their true and firm foundation. They've become distant to Jesus, cold to Jesus. And it's a tragedy because we can become people who carry with us absolutely nothing. So what should we do in response? How do we make sure that we keep within our years and in our lives Jesus' invitation to come and his instruction to go? Well, let's switch from the water, the empty vessel and the stagnation. Let's switch back to the flame. So the flame, likewise can burn out when we go out into the world we're jostled by the winds there's that chance that we will become dull oops that is warm <laughs> I'm okay I survived and that our flame our passion our zeal for Jesus can be extinguished so if you like uh, the application for us is to be a people who fan the flame and remember to spread the fire, to keep coming back to Jesus in order to make sure that our flame burns brightly, but that we're not selfish 
We're not those who want to keep it to ourselves. But we are a people, oh, you can see the struggles of this world. This flame is flickering. And we do well to take it back to Christ to make sure that it is established and burning brightly. There you are. And to take that flame then in turn and share it around. We must remember to spread the flame, fan the flame and spread the fire. So how can we do that? How can we make sure that we're doing that? Well, I'm going to put it in three ways and it applies to both ends of it, to flanning the flames and spreading the fire. Don't be a stranger. Surround yourself with others and rehearse regularly. Don't be a stranger. How can we think of fanning the flame in our life by not being a stranger? Sometimes we don't talk about Jesus because we don't talk to Jesus. We take for granted our relationship with him. What is intended to be a deeply personal and intimate relationship becomes something that is cold and academic and distant. And so in order to fan the flames in our own lives, we need to remember not to be a stranger to him. It's quite easy to schedule certain things in our lives, like coming to church, like coming to midweek prayer and Bible study, it is an altogether different thing to make sure that we have our regular communion with Jesus, that we are seeking to hear from him and speak to him day by day by day in our lives, that we are reading his word, listening to his voice, that we are praying regularly. If we want the flame to stay lit in our lives, then we cannot be strangers to the one who has invited us to come. More than that, we should need to surround ourselves with others, particularly others who love Jesus. We need to prioritize things like coming to church, things like coming to midweek meetings, things like meeting up with other Christians for lunch or for coffee or, or for games in the park. It was illustration used for me when I was a student about calls and calls keeping each other hot. You take a call out of the fire, you lay it on its own on the floor and it will quickly lose its warmth. But when those calls are in the fire and they are huddled together, they mutually warm one another. And so we need not be strangers to Jesus. We need to keep on coming to him, talking to him, listening to him. But we have to prioritize in our lives, spending time with God's people. And in the midst of all that, then the third thing, we need to rehearse regularly his ongoing grace in our lives. Very often as Christians, we can find it easy to speak about his grace towards us at Calvary, how has God loved you? How has he been kind to you? Well, the Father has sent the Son. The Son has died. The Spirit has raised him to life again and opened my eyes. And yes, that is glorious. Yes, that is true. But God's grace does not finish at Calvary. God's goodness to us does not come only as far as Easter Sunday and no further. 
In order to fan the flames in our lives, we need to rehearse regularly to ourselves and to one another what he is continuing to do in our lives. As Christians, above all people, we should be thankful people. We should be a people who are looking for those instances, looking for those examples of God's goodness and his kindness to us day by day, week by week, month by month, and year by year. So in order to fan the flames of Christ in our lives, we need to not be strangers. We need to talk to him and listen to him regularly. We need to surround ourselves with others who love Jesus so that we might mutually be warmed by our affection with Jesus. And we need to regularly rehearse his ongoing grace in our lives. And it would be the same three points for spreading that fire. Don't be a stranger. This time, not being a stranger to Jesus, but don't be a stranger to other people. Don't be a stranger to those that God has put you amongst. Talk to other people. Find out about them and let them be in a position where they can find out about you. If it's a danger that we can cut ourselves off from Christ day by day, it is certainly a danger that we as the church can cut ourselves off from the world day by day. We can fill our time, we can fill our energies, we can fill our vision with important things to do amongst God's people and we can forget that he has called us and placed us to be those who go. So to spread that fire, don't be a stranger. Talk to the people that God has placed you amongst. Surround yourself with those, not only who love Jesus in order to be warmed, but surround yourself with those who need Jesus. Sometimes we find this difficult because we look upon the lives of those outside of the faith and perhaps for a moment we think that they have it better than us. That they have freedoms which we wish we could enjoy, but Christ has put constraints on us. But you know, it shouldn't take too long of watching. shouldn't take too long looking deeply. And you will see how desperately those around us need him. How desperately dark the lives of those who have yet to come to Christ truly are. Talk to others, surround yourself with those who need Jesus. We cannot share our flame. We cannot spread that fire if we keep just ourselves to ourselves, can we? Don't be a stranger. Surround yourself and rehearse regularly his ongoing grace in your life. Tell Jesus, uh, tell others just how it is that God has loved you and continues to love you. We proclaim a message a miraculous message. We declare things like Jesus' offer of rest and peace and joy and life and so on. Well then tell how Jesus, even today, even this week, has been giving you those things in abundance. Regularly rehearse his ongoing grace in your life so that others may hear it and can respond to it. 
Jesus is the one who invites to come. Jesus is the one who commands us to go. When we come and we fill up and we forget to go, we become stagnant pools of water. Stenchy water that is good only for death. When we go and we spread and we forget to keep coming back to that source of life, then we go and we become empty and good for nothing either. We must be a people who hear both the invitation and the instruction. We must continue to be a people who come and come and come and go and go and go, who fan the flames in our own life and spread the fire of Christ. So brothers and sisters, don't be a stranger. Speak to Jesus and speak to those who need Jesus. Surround yourself, don't cut yourself off. Surround yourself with those who love Jesus so that you will be warmed by their love for Jesus and surround yourself with those who need Jesus that they might feel that warmth in their lives as well and rehearse regularly his ongoing grace in your life so that you would be encouraged and his power would be known by those that he has placed us amongst. Hear his voice, respond to his voice.